Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 618 with Chris Sims. While it was so simple, you know, it was just like burgers and, and hot dogs and, and Gatorades, but like the whole idea of being able to make people happy with, with food and drink and service was just so meaningful to me. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. I'm sure you've heard of Revel, but have you heard of the Revel Advantage? It is the payment processing solution that seamlessly integrates into your Revel point of sale and platform to create a complete system tailored to your business needs. Revel manages both your POS and your payments with integrated software, hardware, and credit card processing to save you time and money so you can focus on your business. Learn more at revelsystems.com slash Stoppable. Here is a statistic for you. 89% of all guests will research a restaurant online before dining out. So you've got to start thinking about how you can extend your in-house hospitality and attention to detail to the online world. Bento Box is a great place to start. They will develop a restaurant website that not only leaves lasting impressions with your guests, but also provides hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online and guests into your restaurant. Sign up today at Get bento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. Get on it. All right. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chris Sims, my man, Chris, you know, what's coming. Are you feeling unstoppable today? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. So Los Angeles native and Cornell University graduate, Chris Sims is a third generation restaurateur who has built his company, Lazy Dog Restaurants, on the philosophy of taking care of people first. Today, there are 30 Lazy Dog restaurants and bar locations across California, Nevada, Illinois, and Texas with future growth planned in Georgia, Florida, Virginia, and more. The company expects to double within the three to four years. Each Lazy Dog restaurant employs about 200 people, and the restaurants lead the industry with high volumes and the lowest employee turnover. I cannot wait to find out how you're doing this, Chris, but let's get that motivated. Inspirational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? You know, I one of our core values of the company is never settle, and uh, and you know it really it really kind of dictates to, dictates to everybody in our company that need to constantly be learning. Like mm. we learn one new thing every single day, and. Uh, and you know, lo and behold, you're you're going to constantly evolve, and, and you're gonna you're gonna be successful. I love it. Great way to get this thing started. And man, your story—I uh, cannot wait to dive into it. You have been surrounding yourself with incredible restaurant tours your entire life, so I know we're going to get some great value from this conversation. So, where do you think it makes sense to start? Take us to where you want to start the conversation. Oh gosh, you know, I, I guess it, it really all started off when, when I was a kid, uh, you know, my dad had, had opened up, uh, Mimi's cafe with his dad. And, uh, and so I used to go, uh, when I was God, like 10, 11, 12 years old, uh, to go visit restaurants with my dad and I would bust tables and, and, you know, wash your dishes and, 
And, you know, I really kind of like started to fall in love with, with the business when, uh, you know, when I did that, uh, when I turned 14 years old, my dad looked at me and said, listen, you know what, you know, this summer you have got to get a job. Like, I don't care what you do. I don't care which industry you're in, but you know, you, you, you've got to, you got to be productive. And it was probably one of the best things he did for me because, he didn't force me to get into the business. Like he, he really gave me the opportunity to, to do that. And so I, I went to work at the local country club, uh, and, you know, to, to work on the driving range. And, uh, fortunately after a couple weeks of, of getting hit with golf balls in the, uh, hit in the, <laughs> in a, in a little golf cart, they offered me a job at the snack bar. And you know what? Like I fell in love immediately and it, it, while it was so simple, you know, it was just like burgers and, and hot dogs and, and Gatorades, but like the whole idea of being able to make people happy with, with food and drink and service was just so meaningful to me. And so I, I, I really, that was like, that was like the beginning of, of the passion for the business. Chris, can you bring us to a specific example of a time where you really were able to make somebody happy or go to the extra mile to, to be recognized for, for that, that hospitality gene. Is there like one specific moment that it all kind of came crashing down on you that this is what I'm meant to do? Gosh, you know, uh, one specific moment. God, that's a great question. <laughs> that's what I, I do. I, I pull back know, the layers. I, that's a, that's a good one. I know you just pulled back a good layer. <laughs> you know, I, I know, um, you know, one of the things I one of the things I loved about that 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 snack shop was that you know there's a bunch of little kids you know run, running around and and I do I do remember like you know I, I remember you know constantly going out of out of the way for the kids you know because of course they wanted like special this and special that and then it was so cool to see how happy the parents were you know but by by me going out of my way to take care of them. Uh, you know, I think, I think that's probably, that was, you know, that was definitely the beginning. Um, you know, ever since we started lazy dog, uh, I mean, there's just been so many great stories of, 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 you know, doing great things. You know, one of my, one of my favorites is, is, you know, we had just opened up, it was actually Halloween. And so we're all dressed up in costumes and, and this couple comes in and, and they, they get sat by the, by the hostess, but then nobody actually goes over to the table. So, they never get greeted. So they actually get up and they walk out the door and they walk over to Marie Callender's, which is across the parking lot. And, and so the hostess comes up to, to, to one of my partners and I, and, and he's dressed like a cowboy and he's got like a fake mustache. He's got the guns. He's got the hat, the whole nine yards. And, and the hostess says, Hey, you know, this couple I just sat, just walked out you know, I, I don't know what to do. And so, you know, all of a sudden my, my, my partner, Steve, he's like, he's like, that's it. I got him. So he goes running over to Marie calendars and finds them inside Marie calendars, apologizes, then gives the server our, our, our credit card pays for, for their meal and gives them comp cards to come back. And it was just like, from the beginning, like that's the way we ran our restaurants was that if we made a mistake, we are going to go above and beyond the call of duty to, to really like wow you with our, with our recovery. Yes, Chris, there's two things I pull from that. What you just pointed out is going above and beyond and really exceeding any expectation. Uh, and that's really when you stand out is when you exceed those expectations. But the other thing I love from your story is that 
the the I think the hospitality gene is when when we know we're being hospitable is when we feel inconvenienced, but we do the thing anyway. And whenever you, I think that's the the cue is when you like, this is a huge inconvenience, like you with the the kids doing all the the crazy special requests, but it's when you do the inconvenient thing that you're being hospitable. It's, it's, it's going out of your way for the benefit of others. So whenever you feel inconvenienced, lean into that. That's, that's the the cue that you're, you're on path. Do you want to reflect on that? Yeah, you know, it, it's it's funny, you know, my uh, my my mother-in-law actually like said it perfectly one day and it was interesting, you know, she was she was we were we were talking about kids and and we were talking about kind of the hospitality gene and and uh, and it was really interesting because she said she, and she said it perfectly. She said, "You know, Chris, she goes, there are givers and there are takers in this world." And she said, "You know, your your daughter's a giver. You can just tell." And it and it was so funny because I kind of stepped back. I was like, oh, my God, she is so right. Like, there are truly givers and takers. And so when, when we're interviewing, you know, for, for me, when we're interviewing all the time. Uh, uh, sorry, my daughter's just getting in the car. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> Talk about she's the giver. Like, she's actually the one that we're talking about. <laughs> tell her, but, tell her uh, to say hi. That's fine. The more the merrier. Oh, perfect. You want to <laughs> say hi? Don't, hello don't don't mind just, us we're just gonna be some old dudes talking <laughs> we're gonna be talking about restaurants uh and so uh so uh but yeah so she, she goes you know what there's givers and there's takers and so i and it's amazing like when you interview that way you can you can you can identify whether the person is a giver or a taker um it it means so much in the restaurant business to be a giver because that's exactly what what you're talking about is you are willing to 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 be inconvenienced to make other another person happy yes. and and like that's the ultimate that's the ultimate in hospitality and not only are you willing but you're like excited about it i mean there are times where it is it's crazy the length that i go to to make people happy whether they're in our restaurants or just in my house you know and all of a sudden you know, you, you run out of soda and, and you're and you're, you're, you're driving across town to, to get, you know, this special soda that, that one of your guests wants. Awesome. And, and then you get back and then you get such joy out of, out of doing that for somebody. I love it, man. I really do. And I think there's a million different names for what you're explaining, whether it's givers or what Danny Myers calls them, uh, the 51 percenters. But yeah, absolutely look for that hospitality yep. gene. Hire base off of that hospitality gene. Hire for attitude, not skill is another way of saying it. And uh, I think it's time to move yep. forward. Uh, you end up committing your life to hospitality. You, you wanted to go to Cornell University. So, I mean, what made you make that decision to go to Cornell? Take it from there. I... uh God, you know, I, I decided to go to Cornell. I mean, really, you know, the, the, the job at the pool was just the beginning. I mean, that from there, I, I, I got a job at kind of the really nice restaurant up in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, called uh, Sneaker River Grill. And, and I started as a dishwasher, and then I worked my way up to prep, and then I worked my way up onto the line, and I worked my way down the line. And, uh, and so... I mean, I had, I had wholeheartedly fell in love with the business when I, when I was applying for colleges and, and the ability to, to, to actually get to go to Cornell, which is one of the top programs in the country. Um, it was just, you know, it, it was, it was the ultimate. And so it really, funny enough, it actually started off with my grandfather because my grandfather wanted to go to Cornell. 
uh, when when he was of age and instead ended up going to World War II and then got back and just never, never ended up going. But he always talked about the Cornell Hotel School. And so then my dad came along and but he I mean, my dad didn't want to be in the business. He wanted to be an aeronautical engineer. And so he ended up not getting into the business uh, or in, into in, into Cornell. And so I came along and my been hearing about about my from my grandfather. I was in love with the business. So it was it just it made perfect sense. So any key mentors at, during your time at Cornell or any big lessons, impactful moments during that time that you can share with us? Yeah, you know, I, I think probably well, there, oh, there are a couple of key moments. So, you know, w- one of the key moments was when my dad and I were sitting there, and and uh, you know, and he knew that I wanted to, to to get into the business. He knew that I wanted to open up my own restaurant, and so I asked him. I said, you know, Dad, like, what what should I study? Like, I've got to pick a concentration, but I'm just I'm just not sure what I should, you know, what what I what I should be studying. And he gave me some of the most incredible advice. He said, you know, Chris, he said, when you get into this business, what you're going to find is that not a whole lot of people really understand the numbers, you know, the finances, the accounting. And and he said, if you study, if you're a finance major, you're going to get into this business and you are going to excel because you're going to be one of the few people that really understand uh, the finances. And so, so I did do that. And lo and behold, and I was able to move up very quickly at PF Chang's because of that knowledge. I already understood a PNL. I understood how to how to affect the numbers and whatnot. So, give me uh, one lesson, or give my, myself and the listeners one lesson you, you drew from studying finance at Cornell. Oh God, you know, I, I I think it's it's really it's it's being able to not just look at a PNL, but really understand a PNL, uh, a profit and loss statement. Um, you know, because ultimately, ultimately the challenge of the restaurant industry is, is being able to identify the, you know, really identify the opportunities in the business where, where money's being wasted. Because as you know, I mean, the, the restaurant business is, is a business of just nickels and dimes. I mean, you, you've got to, you you've got this ever leaking bucket <laughs> of money yeah. and, and you've got to be able to figure out where the money's leaking from and how you plug that hole as quickly as possible. And, and that's the, the hardest part is that, so not only do you have to identify where the money's leaking, but then you have to motivate a group of people to, to then plug that hole and, and, and make sure that all the dollars make it to the bottom line. So, um, you know, I, I would say that's, that's probably one of the, one of the greatest, strengths that I that I came out of Cornell with was really my my ability to be able to analyze a PNL and then and then then direct my team in the right direction to uh you know to, to, to get the money going to where it's supposed to go. In your opinion, which holes are the biggest, the the ones that are most overlooked that we need to pay attention to to help govern or govern that 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 flow, that outflow of, of money? I, you know, it's funny because, you know, probably most people, most people would probably say it was an expense. And I say probably the biggest holes are, are the sales holes. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, it is very easy as a restaurant manager to, to manage labor because you get an immediate scorecard. You get an immediate report card every shift. 
uh, you know exactly where uh, you know where your labor is, and, and so therefore managers you know, tend to be really good at managing labor. Now the problem is, is that the direct result of managing labor is either building or losing sales, because if you you know if you spend if you if you cut labor too much. Well, next thing you know, you're going to end up with, uh, uh, you know, poor service and you're going to lose customers. Now, the problem is, is that you don't get to see the effect of sales immediately. It's like probably lag six weeks. So I think probably the, the, the most important hole in the entire thing is, um, you know, really making the right long-term decisions as you're managing your restaurants. Uh, so that you can continue to build that those future sales. How can you, can you give us like one trick to monitor our sales in, in a way where we don't let it get so far that we've taken a big hit on service? Is there a, a trick in keeping your thumb on that pulse? So you you know you want to find the balance, but you don't want to exceed uh, the the labor expense, or you don't want to take. How do I say this? You don't want to. Let paying attention to labor uh, result in bad service. So how do you how do you walk right. that line? How do you, how do you be- make that balance of finding just the right amount of people on the floor without sacrificing service? You know, I, I in in the like in the past it was really difficult because you you literally had to you had to be in the restaurants all the time. And you had to constantly be, be talking with guests and monitoring it. Thankfully, with with you know social media today, and that's I know I know it sounds funny that I'm saying thankfully, but I mean I I am all the the platforms where our guests have an opportunity to express their opinions about our their experience because you know what that does is all of that information gives me the ability. To create, you know, one of the, the, the goalposts, you know, it's, it's like it's like kicking a field goal. You've got you've got labor as one of the goalposts, and then you have guest sentiment or you know guest happiness as the other goalpost. And so now, with all of the social media at our fingertips, I'm really I'm able to get real time information on a daily basis as to what my guest is feeling about the experience. So. Uh, for our management teams, you know that those are the goalposts that they've got to operate within, uh, so that they so that they you know, make sure that they're protecting the guest experience while at the same time running a, a profitable restaurant. So, is there anything you're doing to entice that guest feedback or to uh, cue your your guests to give you that constant flow of feedback? Is there anything you're doing to be proactive with that regard? You know, funny funny enough, there, there's not much you have to do. I mean, people are. People really like sharing their opinions, uh, you know, on on uh, on those platforms. So yeah. we, we really don't have to incentivize anybody. It's just uh, you know, we have a company that we use that, that scours those you know, the, the you know the social media and, and compiles all of the, that feedback. So do you know the name of that service? What was that? Do you know the name of that service? It's called New Brand Analytics. Uh, I think they just switched names to Sprinkler. Okay, but cool. uh, they were called New Brand Analytics, and and, um, and really, you know, they go wow, they have relationships with Yelp and the various platforms, 
and uh, and they go out and they gain all of the the, uh, the feedback, but then they also have uh, uh, software that will help analyze it and kind of really get the truth insights. Beautiful. Um, you broke up a little bit there at the end. You say, just repeat that last sentence for me, if you can. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So, so uh, you know, not only you know, not only does does the the, the the company go out and collect and aggregate all of the feedback, but they also have software that then analyzes the feedback and gives you some true insight into into what um, uh, you know, the guests are, are feeling. And so, I mean, it's for us, it's been truly invaluable. Uh, specifically because, you know, you're always going to have cycles in a restaurant where, you know, the, the operations team is going to be doing a great job. And then there's just so many things, you know, that to focus on, it's like almost, it's like whack-a-mole. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you, you know, there's just so many things to focus on that, um, you know, things are going to slip. And yeah. so when you have this, when you have these leading indicators, when you have this this information about yes, sentiment, you're really able to react much much quicker than, than we've ever been able to, to, to react. Yeah. So it really it saves the volume, it saves the, the sales uh, erosion. So you graduate from Cornell in '97. Uh, you spend three years from '97 to 2000 at PF Chang's. Why PF Chang's? Um. You know, PF Chang's when I started had six restaurants, and and they were popular. Like, you know, the, the volumes were strong. Uh, they were growing in Southern California, and and for me, you know, another piece of great advice I got from my dad was, you know, if you want to open up a, a high quality casual dining restaurant, then you know what, go to work for somebody who's doing it right. Yes, learn everything, learn everything that you can. Because now you have, you know, at that point when you get done, you've got this model in your head of about what things should look like. And then, therefore, you can then take that model and you can tweak it however you want to. But that's why I went to P.F. Chang's was because they were doing it right. They were doing it really well. And I, I wanted I wanted somebody really strong to learn from. So I remember reading in my research that Paul Fleming was a huge influence on you, a huge mentor on you uh, while at PF Chains. What, what, what was some of the, 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 the key things that he taught you that you absorbed from this mentor, Paul Fleming? Yeah, you know, I mean, he was, he was the ultimate in, in wowing the guests, you know, in, in delivering an experience that was far greater than, than what you were really paying. Uh, you know, and so, so I think that's probably the, the primary lesson that I, I learned from him was, you know, all of the different ways to, to, to wow that guest. Um, you know, I, I, one of my favorite stories, of course, at the time, it was definitely not a favorite story. But, um, you know, one of my favorite stories about Paul was, you know, I, I, we had just like finished this huge Saturday night, three hour wait. Uh, it's like 10 o'clock at night. Uh and, and, and I mean, the restaurant looks like a bomb went off. And so he comes walking through the front door and, and he looks at me, he looks at the restaurant and he, and he goes, we need to go for a walk. And so we <laughs> walk around the restaurant and he proceeds to basically point out all of the, the trash on the floor and the dirty bathrooms. And I'm like, oh, I was so embarrassed. But you know what? His point was. You know, Chris, the, the person who's coming in at 10 p.m. at night 
is paying the exact same amount of money as the person who's coming in at 7 o'clock. So therefore, they should get a perfect experience just like you know, just like that that seven o'clock guest yes man it's it's stuck with it's stuck with me for, for the rest of my career i still feel to this day teach our managers that lesson is you know here and there what was his demeanor when he walked in and saw his restaurant in shambles super super calm yes that yeah, was what so, i was hoping to hear so why is that so yeah. important you know why is it so important when when the you know the the things aren't going well. Your daughter's in the car, so I'll watch my language. Uh, <laughs> why is it? Why is it so important to not lose your stuff when when things aren't going great? And why is it so important to have that that composure? Yeah, my, my dad was the exact. My dad is the exact same way, and I I do I I am the exact same way. Um, you know, I, I think that it takes a lot of emotional capital to get people to do what you want them to do. And I, and I believe that the, the, the quickest way to lose that emotional capital, to drain that piggy bank, is is to yell yell and scream and, and get all worked up. I, I, people just it people react so poorly to that that you know you, you you lose all of your capital, and from then on, you really have you have nothing you have nothing left to be able to to inspire and 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 uh, and, and help lead people. So. I've always been so careful not to go there. You know, the other thing, especially in the heat of the moment, I mean, you know, in a, in a restaurant that's like going crazy and super busy and maybe something goes wrong, like your entire team is going to feed off of what your mood is and where, where, you know, kind of where you're coming from. And so you as the leader have got to be the calming effect. You've got to be the one that, that, you know, it's the, it's the, the, the pillar. It's the, you know, the anchor, you know, you, you gotta be that one that, that keeps everybody calm or else I'll tell you what, everybody's going to freak out. So if you lose it, your entire restaurant's going to lose it and game over. Yeah. So the, the big things I'm pulling from that is, you know, like you said, your energy will influence everybody. Like people are looking to you to set the tone and you don't want to skunk the team with your, your negative energy. And then you also mentioned that people do not react well to that angry approach and you might have been taken around if this if 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 paul um fleming took you around after screaming to you do you think you would have absorbed all this knowledge he was giving you along the way no the the entire time you would have just been thinking about what kind of asshole this guy is and how much you couldn't stand him like you wouldn't have absorbed any of that it wouldn't be you to with you till this day um you mentioned something that's really interesting to me i've never heard it expressed like this emotional capital uh what is emotional capital exactly? Well, you know, it, it, I mean, one, one of the best ways I've, I've heard it described is it, it's, it's basically like a piggy bank. So um, in order to make a withdrawal, and the withdrawal is basically, you know, giving somebody a corrective action or, or you know, giving somebody constructive criticism, right? So that's making a withdrawal from that. You know, from that that piggy bank. Is it their um, emotional piggy well, bank, or is it, it your? Is it? it can't well, I'm, I'll it's there. Through. It's there. Okay. Yeah, so it's gotcha. their emotional piggy bank. So I kind of look at each person. I'm like, all right. So you've got a piggy bank, and and I'm trying to lead you. All right. So the first thing I'm going to do is make a bunch of deposits. So you know, I'm going to get to know you. I'm going to find out about your family. I'm going to find out. You know, I'm I'm going to get to know you. 
and and just just getting to know you starts to fill up that 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 piggy bank. Um, you know, the other thing that fills it up is is you know positive reinforcement. You know, complimenting them on on a job well done. You know, giving them that the kudos when when they do when they do good things. So that's like filling up the the, the piggy bank. So now all of a sudden it's time to to give constructive criticism. I've got a full piggy bank. You know what? I can I can correct that action. And you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna withdraw some of that emotional capital capital out of that piggy bank, but I'm still gonna have plenty left. Um, now, you try to make a withdrawal, and there's no emotional capital in there, and and that's like you know, I, I see that happen with new managers. You know, new managers will get the job. They'll come they'll come in guns a blazing, and they're sitting there trying to trying to correct things and make corrective actions and give you know constructive feedback. Yet they don't know anybody. They don't even know people's names. Yeah, they're making <laughs> they're making withdrawals, Dude, you, but they're not putting any deposits in. Yeah, you you want to you want to see a, a coup? I mean, watch watch a watch a team turn on a manager. Oh, man. I've seen it happen so quick, and every time it's like they you know they don't take the time to build the the, the piggy bank up before they start uh, you know making making the constructive feedback. So, oh man, I love that's, it. That's 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 the visualization. Oh man, that, that's awesome. I, I I really love it. And you mentioned something: the importance of getting to know them fills the piggy bank up. It also helps you realize how big their vault is, right? And how much oh. you, before, like how quickly you can drain that that, oh. that cash reserve. Uh, you know, everybody's a little bit different, so you really have to get to know what they can handle. So I love I love that analogy. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, so usually before we go to the break to kind of tell your story of opening your restaurant, uh, we try to extract all we can from the mentors that influence you. And you, you dropped a couple lessons on us already from your dad. Uh, you, he told you to study finance. He also said, go to work for people who are doing what you want to do and learn from the best, which I love. What else, how else has your father influ- influenced you? And I know that's a huge question, but I guess answer it by telling me who, who is your father? What like what kind of man is your father and how has he imp- like imprinted on you because of the man he is? Yeah. Ooh, that's a good deep one. Uh, so, daughter uh, in the car so too. Like, no pressure. Yeah. No pressure whatsoever. I know with my daughter, I'm like, all right, so baby, you know, if anybody asks you this question, this is how you answer. All right. <laughs> now, uh, <laughs> um, you know, my dad, God, my dad, my dad is super smart. He's, um, he's super kind. He's giving, he's, he's, you know, he's definitely a giver. Uh, you know, I think he, you know, he dedicated his life or he has dedicated his life. He's still, he's still alive and well and strong. Uh, but you know, he really cared more about the people around him and their success mm. than his own success. Yes. And, and so he, he definitely taught my brother and I that like he, he, he pounded it into us to be humble, giving, caring, you know, people. And I, I, I have to give my mom a ton of credit as well because she also is the same way. Like the two of them really helped give my brother and I the necessary basic skills to be strong leaders in, in this business. You said and, that they, they pounded it into you. How? How did they pound this into you? <laughs> Well, I, you know, like my, my dad was super sensitive about, uh, complaining. Like he, you know, he did, you know, he's like, no, uh, uh-uh, you're not allowed to complain. No, you, you gotta, you gotta fix the problem. If you're going to complain about it, you better be, better be ready to fix it. Or, uh, 
any time that we would any time that we would even sound uh you know oh stuck up or snobby or or you know anytime he ever even got a hint of us you know talking about being better than anybody else he he would nip that baby in the bud you know and he'd say no 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 sorry that, that's not allowed you know you guys are humble you know you're humble but you're confident leaders but you're humble you know you're humble first um and so you know you just you hear that enough and, and next thing you know you really you really take it to heart and uh, it becomes an important part of your part, part of your life and your personality you know i think that's a huge lesson not only on just the the values in themselves are great lessons but the the way in which you enforce culture with that constant gentle pressure of not sacrificing of of saying this is who we are and then reinforcing it at all times and i think you can take a lesson uh-huh. in your business by keeping you know whenever you see your employees going against your core values you self correct yeah. say no that's not who we are you have to constantly be self correcting and reinforcing the values that you stand for any thoughts on that i i could not agree with you more i mean i i you know, it, it is, it's amazing how destructive just one person can be if they aren't living and breathing the core values on a daily basis. Mm. I mean, it, it, you know, it is, as a restaurant owner or a, or a leader in a restaurant company, you know, everybody that works for you that manages your people, uh, represents you. And so therefore, you know, you can have somebody come into the business who is not living and breathing those core values. And next thing you know, like the way that they act becomes the culture of, of your company. And so, um, you know, so we are, we are always so, so careful in really being, you know, cautious on, on who we bring into the company. And then, you know, I'm constantly listening for the way people are talking and, and acting just so that I, I, I can make sure that, that uh, those core values are, are living and breathing. Chris Sims, I've loved this conversation. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. So Revel Systems is a complete POS built to help grow your expanding business. I stand by Revel, and I can tell you why it's so great, but I'd rather get my man Colton Schultz, who's with Grand Junction Subs in the Craft Cave, to tell you why he loves Revel. We have been working with Revel for several years, who has partnered with us to streamline our operations. We have implemented delivery management, employee management, sales reporting, kitchen display screens, and so much more. We also utilize mobile order takers and kitchen display systems that are extremely customizable. Nice. So if there's just one thing that you love the most about Revel Systems, what would it be? It's definitely their vast reporting abilities on the back end. We utilize a lot of the reports such as speed of service, taxes, sales reports, labor reports. It's all there to help you run your business. Beautiful. Guys, and if you're listening to this, Revel works with businesses that are looking to implement cutting-edge technology that helps increase revenue, improve efficiencies, and enhance experience of their employees and their customers. To learn more, head over to revelsystems.com slash unstoppable. All right, we're back, and uh, we're just about to dive into uh, you going into your business for yourself with the Lazy Dog brand. Take us through uh, how you got this business off the ground. Oh gosh, you know, um, well, basically, at the time, at the time that I started, so I was working for, I was working for PF Chang's. Um, I'd been there for, I guess, just about three years, and and I got a call from Paul Fleming, and and he said, you know, Chris, I, we we want you to come out to to Arizona, 
and we want you to interview for you know the, the first operating partner position for Payways. Like we're starting up this new concept, and you know we're just starting construction. So I fly out there. I spend the entire day with them, and it was so interesting because you know I, when I got back, I was you know again talking to my dad. <laughs> Incredible advice. And uh, I said, you know, Dad, God, this is this is amazing that they would think that I am capable of opening up this first unit of this first, you know, of, the, of their their brand new concept. And I and I'm like, God, you know, I, I don't, I just I don't know what to do. And uh, and he he looks at me, he goes, Chris, he goes, if they think that you can do this, why don't you think you can do this? And I kind of looked at him and I said, oh, my God, you're right. He goes, Chris, I mean, you got some really smart guys that have confidence in the fact that you could potentially open up this first restaurant. Why don't you do it for yourself? Like, I, I, he goes, I believe in you. And so that was the, the that was the moment where I said, OK, wait a minute, I've got to start working on my own my own restaurant. And so, um, you know, really, I, I, I took a look, you know, at, at the time was a very interesting, you know, it was a very interesting time in the, in the business where you had all of these casual dining restaurants that were created when my, when my dad, you know, was, was kind of in his thirties. And, uh, and I, I just, I felt like a lot of them had been going down this road of, of, um, Oh, saving money, you know, like really running things from the bottom line. And, and, you know, in and, and like little tiny cuts, it's like death by a thousand paper cuts. Um, and so I said, you know what? I'll bet you that, that at some point the guest is going to notice because I know I'm noticing this. And I said, you know, I, I think I think we need to, to I think I need to start up a restaurant that is going to be the next generation of, of casual dining, because I know that the younger group is going to going to need this one day. And, and so I said, you know, first and foremost, the food has got to be off the charts. I, uh, you know, having worked in the kitchens for, for years, like I really understood food. I knew, I knew good food. And, uh, and, and, you know, I, I think the first thing that we, the first thing I decided was we, we've got to make everything from scratch because I think one of the reasons why food is going downhill is because a lot of people are pre-processing what they're, you know, what they're, what they're, what they're serving. So, um, so the first person we actually hired was Gabriel Caliendo. And, uh, and so he was, he was the original executive chef. I, you know, I was very passionate about various types of cuisine. So I said, you know what? I want the menu to be, to be, you know, American comfort food, but then I want there to be all kinds of fun, interesting, uh, flavor profiles, you know, surrounding that. Um, and so, uh, you know, I gave, I gave Gabe kind of a general guideline as to what the menu was going to look like. And then he, he, he just went to work and really created a lot of, a lot of the items. He came from the Ritz Carlton down in Dana Point. So he understood food at like a whole nother level, which was fantastic. And, uh, he's a true, true student of food. So, um, so we, you know, we brought him on and then, uh, you know, and then I brought on Roshan Mendes and Roshan, uh, was actually one of my trainers at Mimi's Cafe when I when I went to work for them for a little bit, and uh, and he was like the true epitome of of 
hospitality. Like he just, he bled hospitality and I knew that he would, he would lead, you know, the, 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 the team to just incredible, uh, incredible lengths when, when we, when we got started. Um, and what my goal was, I wanted it to be like small town hospitality. So, you know, growing up in Jackson hole during the summers and, and some of the winters, you know, like there was just this, like this great sense of community, uh, in Jackson and, you know, everybody knows your name and, there was just like this cool vibe that you got from Jackson hole that I wanted to recreate in, in lazy dog. So, um, and so that's really kind of where, where things got started. So uh, we got to dissect this just a little bit, Chris, because um, you mentioned uh, there is this, this movement happening when your dad was in his 30s. What year? Give us, a, for those of us who aren't familiar with your dad, like what year, 80s, 90s, when are we talking? Uh, we're talking 90s. Okay. Yep, so- yeah, because I, gra- I, yeah, I graduated from college in 97. And so this is basically like right, right, right towards the end of the 90s, you know, you know, beginning of, of, of 2000. So I 100% agree with you in like the late eighties, early nineties, there was this movement within the hospitality industry to be super focused on numbers. It was, we were, we were managing numbers, not people. And we realized that, Hey, this industry is all about those margins. Like you mentioned earlier with finance, if you're able to plug those holes and add structure and manage the numbers, you can get an edge on your competition. And then the whole industry, started thinking like that we swayed so far away from the human element because we're so focused on the numbers that we lost sight of what really matters which is the people and then right when you started in the early 2000s smart people like you said wait a second there's a whole opportunity there's a void in the industry right now of people who are just just focusing on the people and it sounds like you capitalize on that why well, not necessarily there to capitalize on, but you did the right thing. You know what I mean? Like you said, there's a void here. Like I need to focus on people. Why did you make that choice? Aside, you know, aside I, from I, the fact that was, there was an opportunity. Was, yeah, no, you know, I, I, I think what was, what was very, I, I just, I remember this time. I, I remember this time I was in one of the, re- I was in one of the casual dining restaurants. And so, and so I walk in and I, and, and the hostess never actually looks at me. Like she's staring down at this, at this, at, at this list and at the little computer screen. And, and she's, you know, she never even looked at me. She's like, uh, how many? And I said, uh, four. And she goes, uh, that'll be, that'll be an hour and a half. And I'm like, Oh God. And, and then she literally doesn't even look. She just hands me a pager. So then like <laughs> we sit there and we wait and you know, we walked around the mall a little bit and we came back. And so we're sitting there waiting. And next thing you know, the pager goes off and I, I walk, we, we walk up to the front and and the table's not ready. It's actually time to get into another line to then wait for the table to get ready. Oh my god! And I'm like, I'm like, this is so jacked up. Like this is this is the opposite of hospitality. And I was like, there's something wrong with this. And and I think that was like the moment that I was like, I've I've got to create a restaurant that is focused on people. And and you know one of the another great lesson that my my dad had taught me that I saw at Mimi's was basically like, you know, he, he developed this incredible culture centered, centered around family. And I was like, Oh man, I'm like, dad, nice job on this one. This is really good. And he just, you know, they took great care of their people. They supported each other. Like they just made really good people decisions for, for so many years. And, uh, 
And so that was something that really, those two experiences really galvanized this, this desire of mine, you know, to, to, to really focus on people. And I'll tell you, I mean, today it is, it's amazing. Like it's amazing that, you know, talking about turnover, like that's why our turnover is so low is because we focus so heavily on our teammates and, and, and treat them the way we do. I want to get into what focusing on your teammates looks like and uh, how to do it right. But real quick, before we dive into that and, and the, the, the progression of Lazy Dog, uh, you mentioned something else that's worth bringing to the surface now is uh, going to other people who I'm, I mean, what was your, your, your thought process in finding your, your uh, back of house person and finding your front of house person? Um, why not just do it all yourself? Oh, wow. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, ultimately, well, number one, this business is way too tough to try to do it yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And so, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I knew I couldn't do it myself because I knew that it's just such a mountain of work. Um, and so, you know, what I wanted to do was I wanted to put together a team of specialists who, who could, who could really bring some, some incredible expertise to the table. And, and I was willing to give up equity in the company yes. to get the right people. Why yeah, is that so, worth so, it? This is a conversation I have uh, a lot. Yeah. Well, be, well, because I mean, you know, a, a smaller amount of a much bigger, you know, pie is so much better than the whole pie if it's just a tiny little pie. Yeah, and, and, and pie is always enjoyed with better with other people. So, like, I don't know if you, yeah, but I like to exactly. eat with other people at the table. I I totally agree. <laughs> like, it's so much better to to eat pie with friends as opposed to you know eat it all by yourself. Exactly. And so I. Yeah, man. I mean that 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 was a huge decision that was worth every little penny. So and, it it's, um, it sounds like you were the back of house back back house office uh, branding the the big picture, and you needed a uh, a rock star in the the kitchen and a rock star in the front of the house. Where else were were you looking for to, to find specialists? You know. Um, God, I mean, I, you know, in in the in the business, I mean, those are those are really the two key. The, the two key places, um, you know, as you grow and you get bigger, then you can start, you can start layering or you, you, you start specializing even more, you know, I mean, you know, we, we now have, God, we now have, I think 6,000 teammates and, and, you know, our, our main office, we have, you know, almost 70 people. Um, and so, you know, in the beginning, you, you're, you're looking for people who are, who are, who specialize, you know, in, let's just say culinary, but they also have to be a bit of a generalist too. I mean, you know, they, they've got to be good at R and D. They've got to be good at running operations. They've got to be good at, at coaching and, and developing and training. Yeah. They've, they've got to be good in, they've got to be good in a bunch of those aspects within the kitchen. Uh, but as you get bigger, then you can start kind of pulling things apart. Mm-hmm. And you know, that was probably one of the most important things that I did as, as we, as we really started growing was, you know, being able to look at the, the, our players and say, you know what, you're really good at this. So, you know what, I'm going to have you just do this moving forward and you're really good at this. And sometimes, you know, sometimes those conversations are, are, are not the easiest conversations, but I'll tell you, like everybody's a lot happier when you get them into the right position where they can really be successful. Yes. Why? Why do the? Why do you think they are happier when you put them into a specific lane, focusing on specifically what they are best at? 
Yeah, you know, it's um because because they're success, they can be successful. You know, it's it's no fun, it's no fun not not being successful every day. Yes. <laughs> like you start, it, it becomes a job really quickly, uh, as opposed to like just a fun part of your life. Uh, and and when you're when you're struggling, it's not fun. And and so you know, I, I it's it's as I said, like you know, it's it's that it's that that dilemma that you have where you, 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 you know, you feel bad about, about having to have that conversation with somebody, but at the same time, like you're doing them such a favor by, by, you know, by having that conversation and by getting them into the right, into the right spot. Yeah. I want to compound, sorry, finish your thought. No, no, that's, you know, that's what it's funny. And you, you, you know, you know, probably you know emotional IQ and, and and caring about people is is absolutely probably one of my greatest strengths the problem is it's also probably one of my greatest weaknesses Ooh. and so it's it's tough you know yeah. because you know that you know there there's just unfortunately you know unfortunately I, I you know you have to make some really tough decisions when you're when you're in this business in order to continue to grow and and, and be successful and uh, and it's funny because you know initially I always felt like having those tough conversations hurt the person, but now that I've I've done it and I've seen the the the, the benefit of it, I realize oh my god I'm actually this is actually really good for people. You know it's really good to to give people feedback and to let them know exactly where they stand, uh, so that they can continue to develop and and be in the right and, and be successful. Yeah, man, I, I'm loving what you're giving us, and I want to compound off of it with a couple thoughts. Uh, it's our responsibility as restaurant owners to identify what people are good at and to reinforce, to let them know, to put them in lanes. We don't know what we're good at a lot of the time until people tell us. We need to be told. We need to be reinforced. Everything's relative from our perspective. We don't often pick up on what we can do better than other people until someone has, says to us, hey you're good at that. And then we start to see patterns of other people recognizing what we're good at. And then we have pride in what we do. And then that helps. I think that helps foster passion is being recognized. Cause if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we need like above, you know, uh, security and, and belonging. It's, 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 self-improving it's being recognized and being valued like this this tribe needs me because of what i can do and when you can create specialists you can feed that 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 need to be valued i think that's the second thing is we need to be valued and specialists become valued for what they can do so you know identify these lanes put people into lanes reinforce their their strengths and then help them be valued a person of value do you want to share thoughts on that Oh, I, I love that. That's a great way to put it. I mean, you, you, you couldn't be more right. You know, people, you know, when you're, when you're not receiving any type of feedback, like it, it, it definitely, it feels like you're not valued, you know, but, but when you have, when you have a mentor or a manager or a leader taking the time to sit down with you to, to, to praise you on the things that you're doing well and, and to, to, to correct you on the things you aren't. I mean, you know, one of my one of my greatest aha moments was when I when I when I realized you don't know what you don't know, like yeah, you know there there were there was these times where I thought I knew everything and then all of a sudden one day it would just like the light bulb would go off and I'm like oh my 
God, so that's how that <laughs> oh. and and then finally you have enough of those, you're like, Holy crap, like wait a minute. Like I really, I really know nothing. don't know what I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like and okay, so there's know. a lot more to learn here. Yeah, and I, I, I finally <laughs> opened my eyes and I'm like, whew, okay, so I gotta ask more questions. Yeah. I Oh, I obviously man. haven't figured this whole thing out yet. What you're saying is really resonating with me right now because I've been trying to find the words. You think that the more you get out there, the more you learn, the 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 better off you're going to be. But then you start to realize <laughs> the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know shit. Like, God damn it. Oh like, God, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, whew. Like, I have a so beginner in this you're thing. Like, oh, it's like the world is so complex. So anyway, that's real funny. Uh, so well, yeah, there's, but, I'll, I'll meet, it's funny because you know, I'll run into I'll, I'll meet these guys. You know, or the, these ladies and gentlemen, you know, who, who are CEOs of huge companies and been doing it for years. And, and I'm like this, I'm like this young, like, Hey, I've got 30 restaurants and, and they have this like smirk on their face. And I'm like, what are they smiling at? And now I'm like, okay, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they understand how little I know about it. It doesn't get easier. <laughs> um, and it does not get easier. Yeah. So, um, so the other big thing I think is important to pull from that is when you're getting started, you need to, to have like the the primary specialists, front of house, back of house, who are also general generalists. And as you start to Definitely. scale, as you start to get that cash flow, you start identifying um, and prioritizing the specialists you need to to handle uh, the all the, the extra that that comes with scaling. So t- in that regard Definitely. to scaling, when did you know it was time to scale? When how how long did it take you to go from one location to two or three locations? And w- now it seems like you're you've really kind of figured out the formula. And I mean, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but kind of take us through that process of scaling. Yeah. You know, I, um, you know, the first thing we had to do is just, the first thing we had to do is just nail down the, the, the original restaurant, you know, thankfully from day one, we had great sales. Um, you know, it was very important. And I, and I'm, I constantly stress this to, to people that I, that I meet that have one restaurant, you know, like we listened to the guest and we listened to the teammates every single day and we took all of the feedback to heart. And it's amazing how many people I see who think that they know better than the guest. And it's like, oh, God, this is going to end poorly. Uh, so so we really listened to the guests. We took all of that feedback in. We, we made a ton of adjustments to the to the concept itself we, we tuned in kind of the financial model so that we finally got to a point where we were making the proper amount of money. Um, and, and finally, we, we felt like, okay, you know what? We're not we, – we've got a good, solid model here. We are now ready to, the, to, to, to now move out and, and open more. And so, When did you so know course, you had a good, solid model? Like, can, like I mean, can you try I, to paint that know, picture for us? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think uh, – I think, you know, once, I, I think once the financial, you know, once, once the profitability came in, came in line, that was a huge indicator for us that we had it. And I think just my, my gut felt like we, we had the concept to where it, you know, or at least close to where it needed to be. I mean, I, I've never stopped improving the concept. I mean, I, I could, I couldn't be more proud of, of the concept today than I've ever been. I mean, I love what we're doing. And, and I feel like we're better than we've ever been. And it's been 15 years, but every day it's like, all right, how can we do it a little bit better? How can we do it a little bit better? You said you knew, Um, you knew you were ready to scale when the profit, the profitability was in line. What does 
profitability in line look like done right? So, so in order, you know, in order for me to build the first restaurant, I had to go out and I had to, I had to convince friends and family to, to basically, you know, invest in, in my restaurant. And, uh, you know, I had, I had to raise, I had to raise $2.1 million in order to build the first one. And so I went out to friends, family, uh, in order to do that, I had to put together a business plan. Part of the business plan was, was our best guesstimate on, on what we were going to do for sales and what we were going to do for, for profit. And then therefore I could then calculate a, a return on investment for those investors. And so, um, you know, I obviously, I, I didn't, I did not feel that it was financially, uh, responsible to open up another restaurant when I wasn't even fulfilling or living up to the promise that I had made to our original investors, nor, nor would I, our, Original investors probably they probably wouldn't have invested in a second one until I was able to show them I could perform on the first one. So that that's what I mean by by getting the profitability to where it needed to be. Basically, I needed I needed to hit the budgets that I had set forth uh, originally. Got you. Um, so we talked a lot about uh, people earlier in this conversation, and we spent a little time now just talking about profitability. Uh, how have you been able to maintain this culture that you're so proud of while scaling? What can you share with us in that regard? God, you know, it's, it's, it, it's, it, it, that it's one of my favorite parts about being the CEO of the company is that, you know, my job is to make sure that the culture of the company, uh, you know, continues to strengthen as, as we, as we move forward. Um, or else, or else we will, we will, we will go down the path of many other restaurant companies that have gone down that path where the, the culture dilutes. And next thing you know, you have a heck of a time, you know, really motivating your teams. Um, so, so what that looks like is I, I think probably the most important, you know, the most important thing is that you, as I said before, you hire the right people as you bring new people into your company, you know, you, you, we have a, we have a cultural fit interview that everybody gets put through to make sure that you are, you are who, who we need you to be. Um, so, so that everybody you bring in, it's a cultural fit and that they all share those same core values. Um, I think it's important that as you get bigger, you've, you've got to memorialize that culture. You've got to write down your core values. You need to put them into practice every day. Uh, you need to write down what your, what your, you know, your pillars are, what your, what your concepts all about and, and, and what that means so that people can make great decisions on a, on a, on a daily basis based on those filters. Um, and then I think, you know, I think another really important piece is that as you grow, that a lot of the management that you put in place as you grow comes from within. Uh, why is that so important? Well, you know, when people come into the company from other other restaurant companies, it takes a bit of time to to break them of some of those bad habits. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they they don't they almost don't believe that we run our company the way that we do until they're in it for four or five or six months, and they realize that we're really serious about how we take care of people and how we take care of the guests and, and what, you know, what we actually do. And so I believe that, that it's, it's incredibly important as you grow that, that you have people from within that live and breathe the, 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 
the culture of the company so that they can then go and teach the new people that are coming in, uh, you know, how we do it. Yeah. I, you know, as I, as, as we grow, I, I see more and more the value of, of that. And I, I actually, I got that from Danny Meyer. I, I was with him a couple of years ago and, uh, and I asked him the same question. I said, Hey, you know, we're, we're just about to start growing across the country. What do you do to, to, to ensure that the culture continues to strengthen? And, and his first answer was, you know what? Like we, we make sure that, that we, we, we promote as many people as we can, as we, as we grow so that, uh, you know, so that that culture is is strong in, in all of the new restaurants. Well, I think it's twofold. You know, you're you're hiring from within. You put the emphasis on uh, being able to not have to recreate that culture in somebody every time you hire them because they already have the culture. You've groomed them from the very beginning. You've molded them from the very beginning. The other huge variable is again bringing it back to. I always reference Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but people need a sense of growth. They need to feel like they're moving forward. They need opportunity. And when you can give people, if you exist to give people opportunity, if they know that if they come and join your restaurant group, they could be, you know, the, 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 I don't know what your titles are within your, your, under your, your roofs, but like I could be uh, a GM or a director of operations for a few locations or a, a, a regional manager or whatever. There's so much opportunity for me in my life if I stick with this company. Um, do you want to reflect on that? Yeah, no, I, I, it is, you know, when people ask me what my favorite part of, of the business is, my favorite part is watching people grow within our company, both, both personally and professionally. Uh, you know, I, you know, being able to to hand the keys uh, of a new restaurant to a general manager that's grown up with the company is just I, it it brings tears to my eyes because it's just like God, like you have you know you've worked your rear end off, you've you've put yourself in a position to be able to take this opportunity, and now you're taking it, and uh, you know you know it just watching watching these people like you know take these opportunities and then being able to buy a house and get married and have kids and, and you know, everything started at lazy dog. It's like, Oh, that's so cool that that we can have such an incredible positive impact on, on people's lives. Like it's, it's the best. So So that's, we, we spent a lot of time talking about that within the company. You've, you mentioned earlier that you don't want to see lazy dog to go down this path. Other, uh, you know, successful brands have gone down with their success. They end up bearing down this path. Let me ask you, how big is too big? How big are you willing to get before being willing to get near going down that wrong path? Uh, you know, I'll tell you, like my, my dad, I mean, my dad took Mimi's to almost a hundred restaurants in I think like 20 States, you know, across the country. And I, I, I mean, I was there. I, I, I knew all of those people and, he still had a great, strong, family-focused culture. So I, I don't think I, – I think as long as you remain committed to it, uh, I think that, you know, you can, you can do it. Like I, I, don't, I don't think that there's – I don't think size should, should dictate that. I think, yeah. I think what happens is that, unfortunately, in this business, the, the expense – of taking care of people and developing people and, and, and having that culture, it's a hard expense. It's something that's very, it's black and white. You know, are you spending the money or are you not spending the money? Okay. 
the problem is is that the ROI on that money is soft. It's gray. Like you, you can't really put your finger on it. And so, unfortunately, I think you know as you get bigger, the numbers get bigger, and then all of a sudden, you know, the 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 finance guys kind of get involved. And next thing you know, you're you're starting to save those dollars that you would have spent on your people because you can't prove out the ROI on it. And so I, I, you know, I think that's where, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where as a leader, you have got to commit yourself to your people and to spending that money on your people. So as uh, you continue to uh, become successful and you increase that cash flow, instead of putting that cash flow away, it's your obligation to to pump it back into the business to take care of your people. And that's where most 100%. organizations go wrong. Yep. I a hundred percent. I love it. Um, we've been talking now for over an hour. I've grabbed a lot of advice from you. Great mentorship. Uh, anything that we have not spoken about anything that is near to your, to your heart that you want to bring to the table before we start to wrap up and go to the speed round. Yeah. God, you know, I, I really, I, probably the guest. I mean, the, we, we, we haven't necessarily talked about the guest as much. Um, you know, the guest today, the guest today is so, it's so interesting because they're, they're craving authenticity. You know, they're, they're craving innovation and, and it's such an opportunity for us to be able to, you know, to be able to create incredible brands um, that have real stories like Lazy Dog, uh, and that share, you know, common passions with, you know, with, with the guests. I mean, that's, we just started up the beer club, uh, you know, probably five or six months ago. And it really came out of our passion for craft beer and, and how, you know, every time we'd put on a new, a new beer, we'd have like a bunch of people all, all fired up about, you know, about the new beer. And so we said, you know what, like, what if what if we went to these these brewery partners and we said, you know what, Let, let's create like a special limited release beer or a collaboration beer and and we'll we'll start a club. And and lo and behold, it's been incredible to see how many people have signed up and and, you know, the comments that we're getting from the beers that we're producing, like they really it's really going well. And and, it, and it's really coming from this like super genuine Hey, you love beer. I love beer. Let's share some beer together. Yeah. So uh, and it, it's it's so simple yet. I think you know some of the bigger companies unfortunately get get uh you know that just it, it becomes more marketing than really just yeah. telling great stories <laughs> about what you're doing. And we, we mentioned it earlier. It, 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 I think as these organizations scale, they start to focus about managing money, managing dollars, and they don't manage people. And I think that's what you're doing with your beer club is you're managing your guests. You're managing what they want. You're managing their shared passion. I think you did the same thing with focusing on dogs on the patio. We love dogs. Our guests love dogs. Let's, you know, (laughs) like let's manage people. Let's manage what they love. Let's give them like, what did they like manage human emotion? You know, yeah. Feed into human emotion. Manage that emotion. You need that 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 emotional IQ, like you talk about, like your your strength. Yeah. Um, back yeah, connect, to you know, connect with your guests. Connect with your teammates. Connect with your guests. And I'll tell you, like that's the that's the key to success. Uh, just real quick, I'll, I want to kind of paint the picture of what this beer club is. What does that club look like? How does it operate? So uh, yeah, so basically, what you do, uh, it's thirty five bucks every quarter. 
And, uh, and so for that $35, um, you get uh, a quarterly beer kit and it's, it's eight, like 20, you know, 20 ounce beers. And it's three different breweries that, that we've, we've partnered up with. Uh, and it all has like this really cool theme. Like the, the, the first one was called, um, uh, space cadet and basically it was all kind of space themed. And so, uh, and we did a great hazy with revision brewing, we did a, uh, a blood orange wit beer uh, with St. Archer. And then we did, oh, we did like a Milky Way stout with Belching Beaver. And, uh, and, and it was so cool because the breweries were so excited to do it. They, they just stepped up. They were great partners with us, you know, specially designed labels. You know, the beers were fantastic. And so, so basically every quarter you get this, this beer kit of, of eight beers. And then on top of that, every, almost every month, we're finding, you know, we're finding those great little beers with with different breweries, and then offering those up for for our, our beer club members. So you're basically so, putting these beers that, into a package and giving your your people that sign up to be a part of the club a like little like the box with beer in it. Is that is that how it works? Huh? Yeah, yeah. Basically, we we uh, we actually they 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 have these like really cool soft sided coolers that uh, they can bring. You know, we we give we give them a cooler when they sign up. They can bring their cooler in, and we'll we'll load up their cooler with the beers. So if but you become yeah, a member, you get canned. okay. Gotcha. Keep on. Sorry. It's basically it's, it's special release canned beer, and then uh, you know on top of that, those those beers are also available in you know in the restaurant for anybody to taste. Um, and the beer club members get like a you know they get a they get a twenty two twenty two ounce size for the price of a sixteen. So there's like a little okay. perk every every time they come in. So but you get it's been really cool. You get the like cans. Kind of seeing the reaction that we're getting. So you get the cans that they can take home. That uh, every is every month or every quarter they get the new wave of. They get every quarter they get the full kit, and then every month, pretty much like we're we're trying to make sure that there's something fun every month. And so whether it's you know whether it's it's the beer kit or whether it's a, a special release four pack or you know maybe there's you know we're 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 just getting started, so it's like. Basically, what we say to ourselves is, okay, well, if we love beer, then what would we like to do with Lazy Dog? <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, well, you know, maybe maybe we'll do a tasting dinner with the with the brewer coming to it, or maybe we'll. And there's all kind. We we did a we did like a launch party, you know, back uh, back in the fall, you know, to to launch some of our our new beers. So we're we're just trying to figure out, like, hey, you know what? Like, what would what would beer lovers think is cool? And then and then we we try it and. Hopefully it works. If it doesn't, then we'll just try something else. I mean, I think the other thing that is probably really important uh, that we, we haven't mentioned with regard to the club is you're probably collecting a lot of data and you're probably getting a lot of emails. I'm assuming to be a part of this club that you can use another channel to communicate and stay connected with your your guests. Is that a variable that plays into this? It and it, it's a great variable. I mean, it's you know. It, for me, for me, you know, everybody, oh, you got to have a loyalty club. You got to have a loyalty club. And I just, the idea of, the, the idea of, <laughs> of getting a, you know, a free, a free burger, every 10th burger is just like, oh my God, like that is just, it's just old school. And you and want I people said, to you know, be loyal, what? like build a relationship with them. And that sounds like that's what you're exactly. doing with the beer club. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yep. That's exactly what we're doing. And, and it, it's working out. It's, it's so cool. Cause it, it, you know, it, it's a win-win situation for everybody. Awesome. And so, you know, everybody gets cool beer. We we get to share our passion with with our guests. Uh, it works out from a business perspective. It, it works out kind of across the board. Chris, I'm loving this conversation. Uh, we here at Restaurant Unstoppable, our mission is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. And 
one question I want to start asking all my guests at the end of the free flowing interview is how have you transformed? Who were you when you got into this business? You opened your first restaurant compared to who you are today. Ooh, I thought, God, you have good ones. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, you know, funny enough, uh, you know, funny enough, I, I was, I, I understand my business so much better today than I've ever understood it. Um, but you know, I'd have to say as a leader probably is where I've grown the most. I, you know, I, I tended to be in the beginning, you know, the, the man in the middle. So, so basically, you know, I kind of ran around and, 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 you know, I just, I ran around and I got in the middle of people's conflicts and I got in the middle of things and instead of really doing what I'm supposed to do. And that is, you know, really encouraging my team to work together, but then to take care of their, their stuff, you know? And, and so I, I really learned a lot about run, you know, running a team and, you know, ultimately when you, when you build that team, what it looks like is it looks like a group of people that are individually more concerned about the success of each other than they are about their own success. Mm. Because, you know, that type of, that type of, you know, that, that type of, of, you know, focus on yourself as, as a team member is, is just death to the team. And, uh, and so I, I am so happy to see that, that, you know, my team has really come to, to a point where they are working together. They're challenging each other. Uh, they're challenging me. I mean, we're all like, we're firing on all cylinders and, and I, I can now see why that is, but I, I would say that's probably, you know, that's probably where I've grown the most is, is in that leadership role. Beautiful. I've loved this conversation. One more quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. So this probably does not come as a surprise to you, but as you can imagine, I look at a lot of restaurant websites because I'm constantly researching my next guest, successful restaurateurs, and you'd be surprised how many of those people have bento box websites. I mean, I almost know instantly when looking at these websites because they're always so stunning and they always check every box, everything that a good restaurant website should have. These websites have them, and it's because they're going to Bento Box to get the work done. And not only will Bento Box leave a lasting impression with your guests, but Bento Box websites come with hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online. With Bento Box, you can easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events directly from your website. Bento Box puts you in control so you can focus on what matters most, your restaurant. Bring your restaurant's hospitality online with bento box by signing up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. We're back. Chris has less than 5% of battery life on his phone. So we're going to make this a true speed round. Uh, what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? I, I definitely think that kind of emotional intelligence, I, I think that's probably, as I said, I, I think that's my strength and it's my weakness all that, in one. <laughs> that's your next question. What is your biggest weakness? So you just answered two with one an- question or two questions with one answer. Uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team? Um, you know, I, I, I really, 
I, I, you know, I, I look for givers. I look for the people who, who are natural born hospitality driven people. And so that's what, you know, that, that's, that's my biggest thing. What is your biggest challenge today and how are you dealing with it? Boy, my biggest challenge today is the fact that we are going to build probably 14 restaurants uh, across the country in the next 15 months. And, uh, and wow, it's a heck of a feat. So I'm, I am working very, very closely with my operations team to make sure that we have all of the management necessary in order to do that successfully. What is one code of conduct behavior or core value you teach your team? Um, you know, I think, I think never, I think never settle is, is, is probably our most important one. I think it's, it's so important for, for people to, to constantly challenge themselves and constantly innovate and constantly look for ways to just better themselves and better the company. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? Something that's common within your four walls, but not common throughout the industry. I, as scary as it sounds, it's the empowerment. Uh, we empower our teammates to do what's right for the guests. And if that's buying them a, a little appetizer as, as, a, as a way to connect with them, if that's you know taking care of a, of a bill, if, if something's get, something gets screwed up, uh, or if, if it's running over next door to Whole Foods to grab uh, uh, grape popsicles for a kid who <laughs> who who wants a grape popsicle, you know, like we empower our, our teams to do the right thing for the guest, and I don't think that's very common in the business these days. What's one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? You know, I I just finished the Coaching Habit, uh, and I loved it. Like it's really really good. I would highly recommend it. Biggest lesson from that book? Ask great questions. You know, the, 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 the best leaders ask really, really good questions because ultimately you need to teach your team how to think for themselves. And, and that's the only way to do it is, is by asking great questions. What's one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Listen to the guest and listen to their teammates. I think that I think a lot of restaurant tours have this idea of, of what they should be doing or what their their concept or their restaurant should be doing, you know, should be. And when it comes down to it, you've got to listen to the people around you and you've got to be be willing to change accordingly. And I think when you do that, you you will find great success. What is one technology you've adopted within your four walls that has had a huge impact on operations, profitability, communication, anything along those lines? Oh gosh, you know, I'd probably you know we just we just partnered up with Wisely, which is a which is a, a host uh, host system, and I'm, I'm really excited about where that's headed, you know, it, you know, immediately, you know, we're able to, to, to page people on text message. Uh, but I, I think really some of the capabilities that are coming down the pipeline are, are going to be really special and, and going to really going to make a, a, an experience at the front door. That's typically, I mean, waiting is no fun. How, you know, how do we rethink that and how do we actually make that experience enjoyable? And I think wisely is going to be a great partner in that first mention on the show. Awesome. And then, uh, this is the last question. It's a doozy. Are you ready for it? Yep. 
All right, if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three things, three pieces of wisdom you know to be true that you can leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would they be? <laughs> uh, I think definitely never settle. So challenge yourself every day, innovate every day, learn something new. Um, I think number two is be humble. Uh, you know, it. it we are in the restaurant business. We are in the hospitality business. And I don't understand where ego comes in. Like you have got to be humble with everybody you deal with. Uh, and, and you know, that will make you successful. Um, and then I think the other one is, is, you know, put yourself in other people's shoes, you know, really, really, you know, understand where people are coming from. And that's, that, that includes your guest, includes your teammate, includes your investors, includes your vendors, Put yourself in the other person's shoes because you're going to be a, a much better leader if you, if you do that. Never settle. Be humble. Empathize. I've loved this conversation. It's been a great time talking with you. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who is one restaurant operator, somebody that you admire and believe would make a great guest mentor like you've made for us today? Well, I, you, you, uh, it, interestingly enough, Mario Del Perro was going to be the one, but it sounds like he called me out, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is awesome. Uh, you know, I, I, I'll tell you, I've had so much fun working with my brother Mike Sims and uh, and my partner uh, uh, Chef Dave Lefevre. I, I think the two of them are fantastic restaurant tours. They've got. You know, they've got about 10 restaurants between the two of them, and uh, I, I've had a blast. I've learned a lot from them, right. so I, I would highly, highly recommend them. Look out, gentlemen. I'm coming after you. and Let the folks at home know how can we connect. Maybe we want to come join your team and learn from you and grow with you. What's the best way to connect? Uh, man, I would uh, just just send me an email. You know what? My, my email address is chris, C-H-R-I-S, at lazydog restaurants.com Chris I have loved this conversation again thank you so much for taking the time energy and just willingness to uh, share your story share your knowledge share your mentorship there is no questioning you are unstoppable (laughs) thank you so much All right, there we go. Another episode in the archive here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you all found value. Before I let you go, I have to remind you, please sign up for the Restaurant Unstoppable email list. That is where you will never miss an episode and you get the behind the scenes of what's going on here, where I'm at, what's on my mind, and what the future of Restaurant Unstoppable looks like, and you can have an influence on that. Don't forget to connect on social media. That's slash Restaurant Unstoppable on Facebook and at Eric Cacciatore, E-R-I-C-C. A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E on Instagram. But the most important thing you can do to support this mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming our industry is by sharing this sucker with anybody and everybody you know who's aspiring to be great in the industry. All right. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out. Peace out.